Good morning. My name is Sarah Sullivan, and I'll be reading scripture to you this morning. The psalm for today is Psalm 124, and it will be sung responsively. First time the piano, the second time the singers only, and the third time the congregation will join. when mortals rose up against us. Then they would have swallowed us alive when their fury was roused against us. Then the flood would have swept us away and the torrent would have covered us. Then the raging waters would have gone right over our heads. God, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's snare. The snare is broken and we are free. reading is from Matthew 16 verses 13 to 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that the son of man is and they said some say John the Baptist but others Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray. The beauty of the gospel is, O oh Lord, that we did not have to come seeking you, but you have come to find us in Christ. You come to us day after day after day. You come to us when we are failing and flagging, and you speak your word of resurrection. We pray that through these simple words, these human words, you bring us life in Jesus' name. Amen. You are the rock on which I will build my church. You are the rock on which I will build my church. These are the words Jesus utters to Simon, his right-hand man. Jesus was probing the disciples about his reputation. Who do people on the street say I am? He asked them. John the Baptist, they replied. Elijah, Jeremiah maybe, a reincarnated prophet of some kind. Then he asked the question again, this time about the disciples themselves. Okay, everybody else says I'm a prophet, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You know, it's at this point that Simon raises his hand. I know this one, he says. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Bingo, Jesus says. And the thing is that nobody told you it. God showed it to you. Nicely done, Simon. Where everybody else sees Jesus as only a prophet, a divine messenger, God's, God discloses Jesus' true identity as the Messiah to Peter. The Christ, the Messiah, the one to set, sent to set the world right. And here Jesus doesn't just give him a gold star for answering the question. He gives him a whole new name. Simon, he says, that name just won't do anymore. I mean, it says the one who listens. Listening's good, but I've got a whole new name for you. Simon, he says, you're Peter from now on. Peter as in Petros, Greek for stone or rock. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate that our, our uh, translations uh, render it as a formal name, just like a name like any other Peter, but instead of be something like Rocky, you know, like, uh, yo, Rocky, you know, that's much closer to what it's getting at with this text. Now, why Rocky? Why Rocky? Well, Jesus says, I'm going to call you Rocky because you are the rock on which I will build my church. You're the rock that I'm going to found my movement on. You're the slab of concrete on which the future of the church will rest. My church, so solid that it will withstand the gates of Hades, the kingdom of death. In fact, I'm not only going to build my church on you, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, opening up the entrance into the realm 
of grace and heaven and future. I'm going to give you authority too. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You could say, I'm doing you a real solid, Jesus says. Get it? Rocky, solid. Here Jesus gives Peter a new name, gives him pride of place in the church's movement he's building, keys to the kingdom and divine authority. You, Peter, are the rock on which I will build my church. You, Rocky, you are the one. You're the one. Now, if you know anything about Peter, though, he might strike you as a bit of an odd choice. After all, Rocky is a little less than solid. A couple chapters ago, he tried to walk on water, but sank due to a lack of faith. In the next few verses after this one, Jesus is going to call him the devil outright. Get behind me, Satan, he'll say to Peter, because Peter tries to convince Jesus not to go to the cross. Then when Jesus is arrested, Peter will chop off a policeman's ear to keep him away from Jesus, to which Jesus says... Put away your sword, okay? None of that here. And then when Jesus is taken to be tried and executed, Peter will abandon him, denying he ever knew him in order to save his own skin. Ladies and gentlemen, I present you Rocky, the solid foundation on which the Lord of heaven and earth will build his indestructible church. Reminds one of the trustworthiness of a certain fairy tale character. Now, Jack, you take this money, everything we have, and whatever you do, don't spend it on magic beans. Let's be honest, Peter would buy the beans. Peter would buy the beans. Peter's a screw up, he's an abandoner and a denier. Not the first candidate you'd interview to start a movement with, and the last guy you would trust with just about anything let alone the keys of the kingdom of God. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus does. On this guy, I will build my church. On Rocky. On Rocky. It's a little bit strange, to say the least. And yet, if you know the whole story of the Bible, you know, if you get a bird's eye view, Jerry, bird's eye view of the Bible. (laughs) You know, the whole story of the Bible, this apparent fail in HR hiring policies, completely tracks. Think about Abraham and Sarah, two old people in their 90s, often consumed with self-interest, constantly doubting, wondering whether God's going to come through. Like Peter, God says to them, I'm going to bless you. You two dried-up old sinners are the rock on which I'm going to build a new family. One more numerous than the stars to bless the whole earth. Or think about Moses. Moses, a privileged pampered, adoptive member of the Egyptian royal family who kills an Egyptian guard out of rage, spending his best years as a fugitive on the run, a guy who screws up so badly in the end that he's not allowed to reach the promised land. 
God says, I'm going to be with you. You're the rock I'm going to use to break your people's chains and bring them out of slavery and into freedom. And think about Mary, of course. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the mother of God. An unwed, pregnant, teenage mother. Blessed are you and the fruit of your womb, says the Holy Spirit to her through her cousin Elizabeth. You are the rock on which I'm going to become flesh. I'm going to stand on in sandals to bless the whole creation on which I'm going to bless all things. Reconcile all things. Spoiler alert, if you read ahead, Peter's screw-ups aren't the end. Because after his resurrection, Jesus comes to him not to write him off, but to forgive him, to lift him out of the pit of despair and death and sin, reaching right into Hades itself to pull him out. Peter becomes exactly who Jesus said he would. Peter becomes a preacher, gathering thousands with the grace of God, and eventually is a martyr for the faith. And for Catholics, he's the first pope. So there you go. Jesus built the church on Rocky, the screw-up. That's who Jesus built his church on. If you know the scriptures, it all makes perfect sense. It's not a failure in HR policies at all. This seems to be the policies of the Lord. Peter's just another in a long line of far from perfect stones. Sinners, we call them sinners, who in spite of themselves, God uses to build the people and the world God wants. If you know the scriptures, it all makes perfect sense. Maybe you've heard of Nadia Bowles-Weber. Uh, Weber's a Lutheran pastor and a relatively famous speaker and an author in more progressive Christian circles. In addition to her sleeve tattoos, these are the real cool thing for pastors. You just can't see mine, of course. Uh, <laughs> you know. And I've also got under my hair, I've also got like these crazy designs, Celtic crosses and stuff. But in addition to that, she became well-known for founding and pastoring a unique congregation, which was called House of All Sinners and Saints. House for the kind of people that God calls, I think. Especially notable for its large number of uh, gay and trans members, uh, folks who couldn't find a place in a lot of churches. But she wasn't always the type of person you would expect to preach or pastor a church. Weber grew up in a fundamentalist Christian family, a childhood marked by judgment, guilt, and spiritual rigidity. In her late teens, she started to attend her denomination's university, Pepperdine, but, but dropped out after a semester, saying, it was, she said, I was a drug-addled mess, that's why. After she dropped out, she moved to Denver, Colorado, and took up a life of binge drinking and using that lasted about seven years while working as a waitress and stand-up comedian. 
I was just the kind of kid, she says, who didn't fit my whole life. I was so angry. And that anger protected and saved me in a way until I added drugs and drinking to it. And then it almost killed me. I was perfectly happy with the idea that I would be dead as a stone by 30. Eventually, she sobered up through involvement in a 12-step program, a process through which God plucked her out of her preferred hell and put her on a whole new path of grace. And eventually, that path led her to Christian ministry. One day, her friend, her close friend, PJ, killed himself. He was a fellow comedian, and his service was held at a comedy club. By then, she had turned her back on Jesus multiple times, Peter style. She left her fundamentalist upbringing behind, but she was her friend PJ's only friend who had any kind of faith. So she was asked to preside at his funeral, which she describes as packed with academics, queers, and recovering alcoholics. It wasn't exactly a churchy situation that she was stepping into. And as she stepped up to the microphone, she looked out on this oddly assorted crowd, not the usual place or usual people to conduct a service, and thought about her own struggles, her addictions, her failures, and her doubts. And there, in that comedy club, she received a revelation. I looked out and I thought, she said, I looked out and I thought, these are my people and they don't have a pastor. Maybe I'm actually called to be a pastor to my people. Like a stone, Weber sank deep into addiction. Like a stone, like Peter, she sank. And Jesus not only pulled her up through the gates of hell and gave her a new life, in spite of her past, in spite of her imperfections, like Peter, God decided to take her and use her to build his church. To bust down the gates of hell and unlock the kingdom of heaven. To bind and loose through her using the word of God. Add Nadia Bowles Weber to that list we're talking about. Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Mary and Peter and Paul and Stephen while you're at it, though, insert your name here. While you're at it, add yourself to that long list of stones gathered together in this place by the Holy Spirit. Because Weber's story is the promise of the gospel, and Peter's story is the promise of the gospel, and it's for me, and it's for you, as much it is and was for them. 
It says that in spite of that heavy weight you carry, you are not destined for the deep. No, it says that no matter how low you've sunk into the mud, there's no place the Lord will not go, not even Hades itself, to dig you up and put you to good use for God's kingdom. In a later letter to the church, Peter says that we are living stones. Peter continues on with that nice stone. Must have really spoken to him. He says we're living stones and he admonishes us to be built up into a spiritual house for the presence of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God. Now he may not take you as a stone and build a pulpit out of you like he did with Nadia Volsweber or like Peter, but he might make you into somebody who speaks a word of encouragement to the weary or shares the good news with your friends who are floundering. He might build you up into a Sunday school teacher, planting seeds of grace that bloom into adulthood. He might transform you into a prayer warrior, joining your voice with the angels in bringing about a whole new creation, God's healing. He might convert you to the kind of person that opens their home to someone who needs it, or turns you into an advocate for the least, the last, and the lost. No matter how he uses you, he promises to make something beautiful with you. While others remain silent, he makes the stones shout aloud. In spite of it all, you are exactly the kind of person God is looking for. No matter how far you fall short like Peter, you are the rock on which Jesus says he will build his church. And together, together we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Unless the Lord builds the house, as the psalmist says, the builders labor in vain, but you are building material for the living God, the builder, and with him your labors are not in vain. But they are for the sake of eternity. Because in Jesus Christ, we are promised a future so secure in its foundation that not even the gates of hell can prevail against it. It will never be shaken. It will never flag, fail, or fall. I offer this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Dear friends, please remain standing, standing on the solid rock that is Christ, that on which, on us, that Christ is building his church. Let's say together uh, a new creed of the United Church of Canada. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit, 
we trust in God, we are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to live with respect in creation, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope, in life, in death, in life beyond death. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It's this time in the service.